Well, growing up uh, in El Paso, Texas, which I've talked about a lot in the, in the early 1960s, I learned to love border regions, Mexico, the deep connection between both countries and the people. And as a young person in the 60s, we'd go back and forth to Juarez all the time for dinner and to shop. And conversely, folks from Juarez would come and work for the day in El Paso, then go back home at night. And the, the border in those days was safe and it was fluid other than American college students getting drunk and into fights. It was, it was an okay place to be. And one memory of that time long ago that I cherish is the day that I bought my first pair of huarachis. Some of you may have even had your hands on a pair. And huarachis are Mexican sandals. They're handmade, they're made of leather. And the simpler versions, which I really loved, the best kind, had soles that were made out of used tires. Nothing fancy, just, just fun and comfortable. You know, it was about that same time in life. As a young boy, I was playing tennis, and I got my first pair of Stan Smith tennis shoes. Maybe some of you had them. Remember those white tennis shoes with that little bit of green on the upper back part of the shoe? And they were great. And Huarachis and Stan Smith tennis shoes, those, those days seem to have, have faded away as Nike now seems to be the main go-to shoes with designs that people line up to, to buy. I guess I thought about all this this week because, you know, the word Nike is very much related to the central character in our reading today. In the story, we heard about the fellow Nicodemus, which it's a great story. I've preached on it many times, and there are a million directions you can go, so I'll do something a little bit different with it today. But what's interesting is that Nicodemus, that his name comes from two Greek words. The first word is Nike, which means victory. And the second word is demos, which means people. So the name Nicodemus literally means victory of the people. Isn't, isn't that interesting? Well, in John's Gospel, we learn just a little bit about Nicodemus. We know that he had a role to play in Jesus' life. We, we heard about their first encounter in our reading today, which I'm going to get into in some substance, but Nicodemus also shows up in chapter 7 in John, and, and in that chapter, some religious leaders are really, really ticked off at Jesus, and they want his hide, they want to skin him. In the midst of their fury, however, Nicodemus, who was one of them, one of these religious leaders, sidetracks him by pointing out, hey, we need to at least take time to hear what Jesus has to say. And so the crowds disperse. And then finally, in chapter 19 of John, Nicodemus helps a fellow named Joseph of Arimathea bury Jesus by helping Joseph place Jesus' body in a tomb on Good Friday. Nicodemus, we know, was part of a legalistic, rigid, and at times very hard-hearted Jewish sect called the Pharisees. Jesus was frequently in conflict with them. And Nicodemus, we believe, was also a member of one of the Sanhedrin's and there were several. There was the great Sanhedrin, which had 71 ma uh, members that decided it was like the Jewish Supreme Court. But there were also lesser San Sanhedrins in a bunch of towns that decided about lesser matters. And we believe that Nicodemus was somewhere in one of those Sanhedrins. But anyway, given his background, we can assume that at least for some of his life, that Nicodemus was pretty rigid, pretty narrow, Pretty legalistic, might even say, using today's words, kind of a fundamentalist. Thinking out of the box would not have been his deal. 
he would have been very threatened by any change with his religion. And although this is the case, it's the same Nicodemus that went to see Jesus. And I believe that embedded, when this, embedded in this story, again, I've preached on it and there are a million directions you go, but I believe within this story where Jesus and Nicodemus interact, that there are little tidbits that actually can be helpful to us in our own faith journey. Things to, to ponder and think about. Things to pray about. Things to wonder about. So there's a lot we can learn from this brief interaction and can't get into all of it, but let's, let's take a look at some of the points. Now, at the very surface level, there's something very interesting about this story. That surface level something is Nicodemus went to see Jesus. We're not told why he went. His motives are not specifically outlined. But we do know, again, that this fellow, Nicodemus, is set in his way. He's, he's clear about religious boundaries. He believes what he believes. He has clear ideas on what's right and wrong. He's really into religious rules. He's zealous, too certain about too many things, and yet it is this Nicodemus that goes to see Jesus. It's, it's strange that he would do that. Well, I believe Nicodemus went to see Jesus simply because he was curious. And according to one definition, the word curious comes from words that mean eager to know, inquisitive desirous of seeing. And I think Nicodemus was curious because he'd heard about Jesus. And this caused something to stir within him. And we know that his curiosity ultimately led to some change because after all, as I mentioned a moment ago, Nicodemus, a Pharisee, helped bury Jesus. Unheard of for a Pharisee. So I think that in our own lives, in our own walk with Jesus, that if we lose curiosity, if we lose being inquisitive about God, if we no longer are open to seeing new things about our Christian faith, if we're too rigid, too certain, too set, we risk what God may be trying to show and teach us. Just like so many people miss Jesus because they were not open to seeing God in a new way. When we lose curiosity, we risk putting rules and laws and interpretations of things ahead of the person that's right in front of us, which Jesus never did. Curiosity, I believe, opens us up to the love of God and its power, and curiosity creates space for us to see things more and more through the eyes of God. So one simple thing we can learn from Nicodemus is the importance of curiosity, even in the midst of those things we feel certain about. This part of the story invites us to ask ourselves, where am I about being curious with Jesus? Have I figured it all out? Do I need to be more curious, more open? Might curiosity deepen and actually broaden my faith? What might God be saying to me about being curious? A lot of other takeaways here, some. We're told that Nicodemus approached Jesus at night we're not told explicitly why, but a lot of people who hear these verses and have studied them think that Nicodemus went tonight at night to see Jesus because of the obvious reason he didn't want to be seen going to see Jesus. That makes sense. His fellow Pharisees would have gone off the deep end had they known that Nicodemus went to see Jesus. So the bottom line is 
Nicodemus was trying to hide what he was doing from others. Now, what's interesting about this is that, as we know, the Christian church for centuries was unified and that that all changed in the 1500s during the Reformation. And the Reformation, as we know, was an attempt by some to reform the Catholic Church, Martin Luther being one of the main ones, to rid the Catholic Church of corrupt practices like paying money to get forgiven. But it was about many things, like it's faith that matters most, that it's grace what counts. It was about putting the Bible in language that people could understand. It was about causing people to look at the church hierarchy in a different way. It was a tumultuous and very dangerous times, and people died based on where they stood on certain issues. They were killed. They were executed. And it was during that time of the Reformation that a new word came about, and that word is a Nicodemite. Isn't that interesting? Or Nicodemite. And a Nicodemite was someone who survived during that time by hiding their faith and beliefs from other people. Remember that during the Reformation, people were killed because of their beliefs. So some people became Nicodemites by hiding their faith. It was a word that was used at the time and the word was created based on the person of Nicodemus. Because at that time, Nicodemus was known as someone who hid his faith or hid his curiosity in Jesus. So while this word is no longer used, as far as I can tell, I believe the word and the ideas behind it compels us to ask ourselves some questions. When and where or have we hidden our faith? And why? I'm not encouraging us or asking us to become outward, in-your-face Christians. That's the last thing we want to be. But this is simply a question of whether or not and why and when or if we sometimes hide our faith. This part of the story, Nicodemus, could be, could be a nudge to being open, to being more open about our faith in certain circumstances. To sometimes take the risk with our faith so that we don't end up being an acodomite. Interesting thing to think about. But there's more. Note that at the beginning of our reading today, Nicodemus says to Jesus, we know you are a teacher who came from God because no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with you. Nicodemus, in essence, was saying, Jesus, because some of the proof you've been providing, some of the signs you've been showing, you might be worth checking out. And like many others, Nicodemus clearly had heard about Jesus' miracles, including turning water into wine in a large wedding bash. So this compels us to ask, was Nicodemus on the verge of having a life of faith and a relationship with Jesus based on evidence? Now, there's certainly have been points in my life and continue to be points when I ask God for a sign, for some concrete clarity, for something specific, for a miracle. And when we do such things, we're not bad. We're human. Obviously, when things are tough and rough and unbearable, we'd like to see something definitive. At least I do sometimes. That said, I believe we're wise when we realize that Faith based on proof can become shaky very quickly. 
This is why Jesus one day said, Blessed are those who believe but have not seen. And Jesus said this after his resurrection to Thomas, who was having a hard time trusting that Jesus was raised from the dead, even though Jesus was standing right in front of him. And this is why the writer of the Hebrews wrote, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for. Confidence in what we hope for. And assurance about what we do not see. Faith is about trust and hope that goes along with it. And however hard this can be sometimes, this part of the story, I believe, invites us to ask ourselves how dependent we are upon evidence and signs and proof for our faith to thrive. And what might God be saying to us in the midst of our struggles with seeking evidence? More in the story. In verse 3, Jesus says to Nicodemus, I tell you the truth, unless you were born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Said another way, unless you were born again, you won't see God or what God is up to. And I, I preached on this, I've talked about this, it, it's a very huge subject, but I just want to offer some very brief, maybe some different thoughts about this concept today. Nicodemus was totally confused by what Jesus was saying. As a Pharisee, of course, he was kind of a literalist. What do you mean? You mean I need to go back into my mom and be born again? Just what you would expect from a fundamentalist, taking it literally. But here's the key. Some people have noted, and this is obvious, that when a mother delivers a baby, it takes the mother's efforts, not the baby's, right? I mean, the baby doesn't do anything. The baby simply goes along for an e-ticket ride at Disneyland. When Jesus uses the word again in the context of being born again, he's using a word that means rebirth. A rebirth metaphorically that requires a capable parent, not the infant. So what Jesus was getting at is a lot of people are pointing out is that being born again is not something that we do. It is something God does for us like a mother giving birth to a child. Being born again is a birth of our spiritual lives and it comes from the grace of God not because of our actions or our deeds. Jesus was trying to tell Nicodemus that the way to God and living a new life is not about doing anything. It's about receiving and accepting what God is offering. A relationship. A new spiritual life. A new relationship with God that God is offering. And asking us to accept. And when we see our faith life as something we receive, instead of something we need to earn, it changes everything. So being born again, in part, is about a new way of seeing God. It's about a relationship with Jesus. It's about realizing that every moment of life is bursting with possibility, that new starts happen, that it's never too late, that we can have a, a brand new relationship with God anytime. But God is the source of our spiritual birth, just like our mothers are the source of our physical birth. So this invites us to consider, where are we in our faith? Do we view our relationship with God as something we receive? Just a couple more things about the story. Nicodemus was a person whose faith and history put extraordinary value upon religiousness, tradition, and historical ways of doing things. He was a Pharisee. That said, obviously, 
maybe I need to say this five times, but obviously history and tradition are important. Obviously history and tradition are important. Obviously history and tradition are important. Because sometimes when I've said such things three weeks later, somebody will say, Robert, why did you say history and tradition aren't important? And that's not what I'm saying. But if too much energy is spent on such things, they can end up, in fact, getting in the way of our relationship with God. Now, I'm a lifelong Episcopalian. I'll never forget in the 1970s when the new prayer book was published. Good Lord, you thought we were being invaded by Martians. Divisions were formed. Names were tossed about like spears. Some people were so, so angry. So much so that some people lost sight of Jesus because they were so focused on the old prayer book. Well, the same thing continues to happen in churches all over the world of things getting in the way of a relationship with God. Arguments over church design, music, lighting, carpeting, coffee, snacks, room temperature, parking. I've seen it all. And the same thing happened, of course, when women were first ordained in the Episcopal Church. The same thing happened when the church finally decided not to take all of Scripture so literally that said that slavery is okay, when finally American Christians realized that the black community needed to be part of our churches. Caused riotous reactions. The same thing has happened in churches, thank God, when finally the LGBTQ community is embraced. The same thing happens when forms of worship are expanded. The Christian church is ripe with boundless examples of ways of doing things, tradition, expectations, inflexibility, rigidity, picking and choosing verses of Scripture which align with our opinion, and so much more that gets in the way of the main thing, which is Jesus and the love of God. Too often, the examples I've mentioned put Jesus and the love of God in the back seat. Regina, my wife, tells me I should write a book about all I've seen in this stuff topic. But the story of Nicodemus is yet again another example, an invitation for us to think about when and where, and in the past and maybe even now, because of tradition and history and the way we've seen things, when have such things caused us to lose sight of keeping the main thing the main thing? Now, the purpose of this is not self-chastisement, it's a prompt from God to focus on God and Jesus and the love of God above all else. And the last thing we can take from the story of Nicodemus. In our reading, Jesus speaks of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, which is God's Spirit within and all around us. Jesus likens the Holy Spirit to the wind. It's supposed to be windy, I think, later today. When you, when, if it is windy, and I hope it is, Think of the Holy Spirit. Just think, just think for a moment. That's what the Spirit's doing. It's moving all around. We don't know where it's coming from, where it's going. It's just moving. Jesus says the wind blows wherever it pleases. Just like the Spirit goes wherever it chooses to go. The Spirit moves. This is a hard one for me sometimes. Because as a human being, sometimes I, maybe you, struggle with letting go and wanting to be in control. Now, having limits or controls are good things. 
when it comes to traffic, courtrooms, construction sites, energy production, skiing down a hill is evidenced by the massive number of injuries in the congregation, military operations, putting fences around playgrounds and cities and so much more. Limits and controls are good, but the same is not true when it comes to the Spirit of God. Jesus, in essence, says to Nicodemus, God's going to do what God is going to do. You cannot limit God. You can't control God, so stop it. Nicodemus, in essence, says, or Jesus says, in essence, let go of your life and release it into God's hands. Turn your worries, fears, and your need to control your life over to God. Let God be in charge of your life, Jesus says. Even when that means change and releasing and letting go and unclenching your hands. This is yet another invitation for each of us to ponder where we are with issues of control and letting go, especially when it comes to God. Remember, Jesus said, when we lose ourselves, we will find ourselves. And where is it that we may need to do some lose, losing or some loosening of ourselves? Curiosity. Hiding or not hiding our faith. Signs and proof. Being born again. Being held back by what has been. Letting go. These are all vital considerations in our walk with Jesus. Where might God be nudging you in any of these areas? and your heart and your mind and your walk with Jesus to spend some time on. And as faith is a journey, we may need from time to time to keep returning to and pondering about what we've covered today. Curiosity. Hiding or not hiding our faith. Science and proof. Being born again. Being held back by what has been. Letting go. I believe the more time we invest into diving deep into such things, the deeper our relationship with Jesus will become. Whether or not we've ever worn huarachis, Stan Smith tennis shoes, or even a pair of Nikes. And so let's spend some moment in silent prayer.